The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is your newscast for episode 217. For uh, It's the day after America's Independence Day, July 5th. Uh, 2021. Well, what day is Independence Day, Rob? The, well, it's the fourth. Uh, well, the fourth is 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 the uh, Independence Day, but it's July yeah. 5th, the week that we're recording here. You are correct. You are correct. And yeah. happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July to you. Uh, our country. How old is our country this year, Alex? Ooh, now you're gonna make me do math. 245. So. Between 245 this year. So yeah. we've got a uh, got a pretty good uh, got a pretty good run going here. Yeah, a few more years. We got to celebrate 250. That'll be pretty fun. That'll be a fun one for sure. Um, yeah. Fun fact: I will be turning fifty the same year that ah. the country turns two fifty. Wow! So yeah. you're you're two hundred years younger than the country. They call us bicentennial babies. That's mm. the uh, fact of the podcast for folks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you know, I missed that by just a slight bit. Just a little bit. You're but, much younger than me. Yes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I hope everyone had a, a great Fourth of July. You know didn't blow their hands off and or start forest fires yeah and, or, or neighborhood fires either yeah uh, all right jump into some housekeeping stuff yeah let's do it uh so rob did you know we have a slack channel i did know that how many people are in that slack channel these days Alex? uh we're getting close to 2000 i don't know exactly the number but it, 19 something yeah it looks like we're um, about 1947 which you know somewhere <laughs> in between world war ii and the korean war right there um how old was the the u.s in 1947 rob oh that's a great question <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, for those of you that don't, don't know, uh, we made the, the Slack channel invite only a little bit uh, back. So if you're interested in joining, go to the website, uh, submit a request to us or find somebody that's already on there and they can make a request on your behalf. Good stuff. While you're on our website submitting that request, uh, you can also join our mailing list. We'd love to have you get the show notes in your inbox each week and uh, give us any feedback you have about the show. We'd love to hear it. While you're at it, you can go ahead and subscribe to receive the show in your inbox at your favorite podcatcher and, and give us a good rating on there. Uh, it's been a while since I've looked at our ratings, but I would like to think that all of you are doing ratings on a regular basis. I'm sure only five-star reviews, Rob. Uh, also, if you would like to, tell a friend, let them know how great Colorado Equals Security is. And if you want to do something financially, we do have a Patreon campaign where you can contribute to the costs of running the podcast and all the other things we do for Colorado Equals Security. A big thank you to, to our uh, current patrons. We really do appreciate all your guys' support and keeping us going. And we do have a new patron this week. Oh, yeah? We do. Uh, Sue LaPierre. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah. Thank uh, you, Sue. Say, thanks, Sue. Uh, Sue is the... Actually, what did you, uh, I, I was just on a panel with her recently. Yeah. Uh, she is the uh, the VP of IT governance or something mm. like that. Um, CISO, she's the CISO. She's the CISO but, for Prologis. But she right. has a, a slightly different title at, yeah. at Prologis, and, uh, and she signed up uh, for $10 a month, so we appreciate that, Sue. Um, we need to get Sue a T-shirt, and we're giving her a shout-out on the podcast. You could get the same if uh, you join the Patreon campaign as well. We appreciate you very much, Sue. Thanks for thanks for supporting us. All right, let's jump into some news. Uh, we have some some local news that's uh, that's quite tasty. Um, the most famous chocolate company in the U.S., Hershey's, has bought four hundred twenty-five million dollars to buy a Colorado snack company. Yeah, not only snacks, but it's it is a, a sweet snack company. Um, Lily's Sweets, based in Boulder, was purchased by Hershey and. 
they are in the, I love this, the category of better for you snacks. So um, these are not good for you snacks, but they are snacks that are better for you than bad snacks. Yeah, they, they say that they don't have any added sugar. Um, what they do, it looks like instead of adding sugar is they use Splenda for, for most of their sweeteners. And they have, what is it, 20 something different kinds of chocolate bars, different flavors. Uh, they've been selling at Whole Foods and I think some other high-end grocery stores. I was not familiar with Lily, but um, now that I see it, I, I'm, I'm more interested. But now that I see it, it's not a Colorado company anymore either. So, you know, it's kind of a little bit A, a little bit of B. Yeah. You better hurry. You know, they're uh, they're still technically here, even though they're owned by Hershey's. Yeah. Well, looking forward to, to seeing the success for those folks. And of course, big congratulations to that whole team. Uh, also, Rob, did you know that the Colorado Convention Center is the third most popular convention center in the U.S.? In one category, according to rankings. Yeah, in terms of uh, they were ranked number three based on visitor reviews, how much visitors liked it, which is interesting. It can, you know, I, I think our convention center is just fine, but it's a little disorienting sometimes getting from one area to another. Sure. It just makes me wonder how much harder other convention centers must be to use. Well, I have I've been in several convention centers. Mm-hmm. Some of them are like mazes. You know, you go in one right. entrance and have to go up and down and around to get to other places. So, um, you know, sort of having more or less one entrance right. and, you know, not too much, uh, too many ways you can go, I think is pretty good. We were also ranked number three for the most environmentally sustainable. Good scoring there behind San Francisco's Moscone Center in Los Angeles. Uh, overall, we were what number ten? I think. I think we were number ten overall. Uh, thirteen. Uh, number, number thirteen overall. Excuse me. Uh, the uh, the number one overall ranking was from Chicago, the McCormick Place in Chicago, and, and number two was the Las Vegas Convention Center. I have been to both of those. Uh, they are fine convention centers as well. I'll tell you that what surprised me was we were ranked at number sixteen in terms of safety. And yeah, I, I feel like it's a pretty safe convention center. I thought that was interesting too. I mean, I wonder, is it like visitor safety or is it like how many people fall down the stairs or something right. like that? Yeah. Good question. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, that's, that's our local convention center. Go team it built, yes. built during our lives. Um, I, I do think it's also interesting that we are low in terms of most affordable uh, for hotel and food costs. I would have mm. figured we would have been a little bit higher on that. Yeah, well. I would have but too. Anyway. All right. Uh, next story we have is from a, a new company, new to me at least. It's a personal personal chef platform, and you can think of it like a, a Uber or a Lyft for personal chefs coming to your home. Um, it's called. Well, I didn't. I didn't pronounce this ahead of time. It's Intuit. 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 I think, it, I think it's probably Intuit. Intuit. Like like uh like it's intuitive, but you're eating. Yeah. It's, or it, maybe it, Intuit. Into I think Intuit sounds good. We're going to call it Intuit. So Intuit is a platform where personal chefs can list their services and they can be contracted by individuals who want to have them come into their home and deliver a a, a gourmet experience, you know, for a personal party. Yeah. And, um, I I think I would think about it more like a, um, like an Angie's list or Mm -hmm. a home advisor for personal chefs or something like that. Right. You can go there and they have a list of, of chefs that you can use and then you can contract with one of them. Um, it, it said right now, I think that they have five chefs on their platform and they have at least five more, uh, in the pipeline that are, that are getting approved. Um, so still a pretty small platform. Um, but you know, it sounds pretty cool. I, I know next time I, I want a personal chef in my house, which would be a first time. Um, then this would be a place I would go. Yeah. Not like I've done a, a lot of these things, but I've had catering to the house a, a few times in my life. And, um, this seems like an interesting alternative to that. 
the they said that the average price was between sixty and eighty dollars a person, and then they also had gourmet options up to like two hundred a person. But you know, sixty to eighty for a for a an event is actually pretty reasonable. So interesting to know, and it's nice to have this option out here. And of course, it is a Colorado company with a Colorado footprint, so you can you can give it a try. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, all right, uh, Denver-based EverCommerce, who we've talked about recently. Uh, announced their IPO pricing and apparently went public and uh, is now trading on the NASDAQ. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't realize that this was so fast. It was coming. I think it was just last week. We talked about this maybe, or maybe two weeks ago. The article we had last week, it didn't really seem to say that they were this close to IPO. I didn't realize it was this close. So I think this is just a quick update. Um, You know, they, they listed at $17 a share. They had more than 19 million shares go public and they're currently trading over 17 at 1724. So you call that a successful IPO. Um, the company's uh, market cap is, I actually looked, it was about $3.3 billion, so a good valuation and, yeah. you know, uh, just real positive stuff for them. Congratulations. Yeah, good stuff for EverCommerce. Uh, hope things keep going well for them. Did we Have we talked about this next one? This is a New Zealand tech startup that's picked Denver for its, you know, HQ2. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know if we have. It didn't uh, sound familiar to me. Yeah, I, I remembered reading it, but I didn't remember that we had actually chosen to talk about it before. So uh, I think it's called FileVent. Is that right? FileVent. Looking to confirm, uh, no, fi- excuse me, File Invite. Uh, file Invite. Yeah, File Invite yeah. is the name of this company, New Zealand-based. Um, they they apparently, you know, have, have grown really big internationally and have about 40% of their customers in North America now. So they decided they needed to put a, uh, what they're calling their, their global sales headquarters here in North America. And it came down to Utah, Texas, Illinois, or Chicago. And you know, pick Denver, I think in large part because of the success of Zero, which is another New Zealand company that has moved its like HQ2 to here to Denver and how, how positive the move has been for those guys. Yeah. And this is the appropriate place to say, screw you, Austin. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you didn't get chosen. Um, and, you know, it, it does just say Texas, but we all know that that's, we all know that's what they meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, th- this looks uh, like good stuff. There are going to be 140 new jobs uh, for them in Colorado, and uh, they're going to be hiring immediately, so pretty cool. Good stuff. Uh, jumping over to the security portion of the show, uh, we have an update from CloudRise. You know, CloudRise is the the DLP, Sensitive Data Protection um, Company, started by Rob Egerbrecht, the one of the co-founders of IntelliSecure, which we've talked about on the show for years, who recently was sold to Proofpoint. Um, Rob started CloudRise out in Grand Junction, and we talked about it a couple months ago on the show. Well, they just closed their seed round of funding. Yeah, and in the article, they don't talk about what that number is. Um, but being an experienced entrepreneur, I'm sure it's a decent number. Um, they also uh, mentioned that they were actually launched in October of 2019, which seems like an awfully long time ago. Um but th- that they've also uh, delivered on over 100 projects so far uh, with over 60 customers globally, including several in the Fortune 50. So they're making good progress. Uh, I'm really glad to hear it. I, we still need to get Rob on the show. I think um, so far we have dropped the ball on reaching out. We need to do that and, and hear what, what they're doing and what the vision looks like for CloudRise. Yeah. Um, next, we have a uh, press release from uh, Swimlane. So uh, they have a, a new release, and with it, they are uh, going to be what they're calling the uh, security system of record. So yeah. uh, this is some new new features for Swimlane. Um, you know, maybe just a tease for uh, for some of the stuff that might come up in the the feature interview today. Um, but uh, but yeah, so they they've got a few new things that they're highlighting. Um, they've got a quick start service 
Um, they now have a, a collaboration hub uh, as part of the, the, the platform um, and also some new dashboards and, and reporting. Um, but, uh, you know, this is good stuff for Swimlane, um, more new stuff and glad to see them continuing to go on. Yeah. As I read through this article and, and I was trying to figure out you know, some of this it's kind of marketing speak at the beginning, you know, being this, the system of record or source of record for security. What does that mean? Right. Does that mean you're my SIM? Does that mean you're my GRC tool? What does that mean? Well, when I get to what I, what I got out of it is this, this, uh, dashboard in the, in the reporting that they're going to offer starts to tell you the effectiveness of what you're doing from security operations. Yeah. And you know, I think one of the biggest challenges that SOAR has always had is, yeah, it sounds really good, but what am I actually going to do? Am I actually saving time? Am I actually, you know, getting more things done? You know, the, the value prop that I've heard from lots of SOAR companies is, well, if you had infinite time, what more would you do? Well, now that I bought your tool, am I actually doing those things? You know, if their dashboard and their reporting can actually get me that information, you know, I think it could be a game changer in terms of showing the ROI on that investment and and, and really start to open up new markets that currently were closed. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the other things is, you know, when you think of system of record, um, that, that's really the the source of your source of truth, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are, are some tools which might be the source of truth for pieces of security. Um, but with, you know, sort of the expanding use cases that you can do in, in a sort platform, you know, maybe someday you could get to the, the place where, um, wherever you need something, um, your SOAR is the place where you, you go and that is your system of record. I don't for know, it, how so. are you ever going to make spreadsheets not be this, this source of truth for security program? It's going to be uh, a tough, yeah. tough ask, yeah. Yeah. tough ask. Yeah. Gotta, gotta automate those spreadsheets in the, in the, in the SOAR. Yeah. That was sarcasm. Yes. Uh, but sadly, it, it, it's not it's, sarcasm. Well, it's, it, it, is, it is where we are as, a, <laughs> as, a, as an industry, for sure. All right. Uh, moving on, we have a blog from Coalfire asking the question, what is FedRAMP Plus? Yeah, I'd oh. like, I, I actually did not know what FedRAMP Plus was, so I was pretty glad to read this article. So FedRAMP is a set of requirements in order for you to, to, offer, to offer a cloud service to the federal government. And there's like a, a nice centralized office that helps guide you through that process to be given a, a author, authority to operate in FedRAMP. Well, the plus part of it is all of that FedRAMP stuff plus the requirements to meet the DOD's requirements for security. So, you know, the Department of Defense does have a significantly higher bar for security than, you know, the Department of Labor or Treasury or whatever. DOD is kind of the highest tier. Right. Um, so so FedRAMP plus is basically, hey, you, you already got your FedRAMP. ATO will come add this other stuff and now you can have DOD approval as well. Yeah. So they have uh, what they call the cloud computing system requirements guide, uh, which are requirements that will go on top of FedRAMP. And so if you can meet those uh, requirements as well, then uh, in addition to uh, being FedRAMP compliant, then you can sell to DOD for your cloud services. Yeah. So a good article by is it Keith Kidd is the director of FedRAMP assessments for Coal Fire. And uh, I think it's t- worth taking a look at if you're FedRAMP or thinking about getting in that area. Yeah, it, it does go into some detail about the different levels that they have in the system requirement guide for DOD. So, you know, if that's what, what you want more information on, some good information in the blog about that. All right. Final blog this week is by Logrhythm. And I pulled this one out because it aligned with a conversation we had last week on that panel. Um, so the the headquarter the headline is uh, cybersecurity and the water supply managing a growing risk worldwide. You know during that panel we had during Identiverse one of our panelists who I won't say by name because I don't remember if that person wanted to be quoted mentioned uh, mentioned you know we were talking about the fact that you know the the solar winds breach was you know it wasn't the first time we saw Russia or excuse me a, a nation state uh, in bed 
uh, malware into the supply chain. It was the it was, it was just the first time that it really hit the U.S. hard. The previous time that it, you know, they'd gone after the Ukraine with that tax software, and then I had asked the question, okay, well, uh, what what other thing have we seen an example of that we're not taking seriously enough yet? And he threw out the water supply issue with that yep. that issue from Florida, and then San Francisco recently happened as well. Um, and that's what this article is getting into here. Yeah, and it, it talks a little bit about the background and what the problems are. And um, it talks a little bit about, uh, you know, what Logarithm sees as a potential solution. And, uh, you know, not surprisingly, that involves centralized visibility uh, to see, you know, what's going on in all your environments, uh, something that Logarithm can provide. But that is true. Having centralized visibility into uh, not only your IT, but your OT environments and, um, you know, all the sort of disparate things that you might have running a uh, a water supply uh, company organization. Um, Centralized visibility is a good thing. Yeah, I I think... To me, the key is I don't have any problem with vendors who do some part of this solution talking about it because that's how we get there is enough people saying, hey, go look at your water supply. Go go think about this type of a risk. And there's probably 50 different vendors who will say, you know, Ping Identity might say, we got to have MFA on all those systems. And, you know, Red Canary might say, you got to have, uh, you know, EDR or MDR monitoring those systems. And everyone's going to have their own angle on how to solve it. But right. we, we should all agree we should solve it. And let's have some security people thinking yep. about that answer. And then just do all those things, whatever everyone tells you just do all those things and you'll be fine well at least at least think about which ones to do yes that's probably a better idea yeah. rob all right hey let's that's the it for news let's jump over to events as a reminder we do have a calendar of events um, there's a couple things coming up in the next couple of weeks uh, i think we are going to be taking off a week um in here so i actually i went out to two weeks out or three weeks out into the future versus our normal two okay to, to get a little further out there Sounds good. The first one that we have is the Cyber Mountain Colorado Springs is doing their hybrid first Friday on the 9th. On the 14th, ISSA Denver has a July meeting, and that's Douglas Brush who's going to be talking there. Very nice. On the 16th, uh, the Secure Software Development Life Cycles Group is meeting. Uh, I think the last, oh, no, well, two more here. Uh, the, the 20th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their July meeting. And then on the 24th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their July mini seminar. Good stuff. And those are those are great for getting yourself some CPEs on a, on a Saturday morning if you want to spend a few hours at it. Yeah, good stuff. All right, All right. let's jump over to jobs. Starting off, we have a Kaiser Permanente job. Um, Jen Vasquez, who's the CISO over there, recently joined the Slack community. I think she shared a whole bunch of open roles that they're hiring for, right? Yeah, and this was one of them. So if you don't like this one, go check it out. Right. There, there's many more. This was a senior program manager for cybersecurity in vulnerability management. Um, is this supposed to be Cobalt IO? Yes. Sorry. We've got a little, uh, little, little typo, typo there. Uh, Cobalt.io is looking for a security program manager. Uh, Cobalt is not based here, but that is a remote job. Awesome. Xerox is hiring a VCSO or a fractional CISO role. Denver Water is looking for an IT security analyst. Centura Health is hiring a security engineer senior. Sigma Computing is looking for a head of information security. Yeah, this is basically their their VP of security CISO role. Yep. Um, and Ross uh, Hosman, who's in the Slack community, will be happy to tell you all about it as that's the role he's leaving. Ibotta is hiring a security architect. Jump Cloud is looking for a security engineer for incident response. Dish Network is hiring a wireless security architect. Uh, that was probably pretty cool because I'm guessing wireless here is 5G. Yeah, I bet so. Uh, and Charlotte's Web is looking for an IT security and controls analyst. So if you want to help secure uh, someone in the, the marijuana industry, then 
uh, there's your job. I, I, I assume that there's samples. I don't, I don't know how this works. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, that is it for the news. Uh, we do have a feature interview. What are we doing this week, Alex? Yeah. So I talked to uh, Cody Cornell. I think I teased it a little bit earlier in the, in the podcast. Uh, Cody is now the chief strategy officer, uh, still co-founder, uh, but chief strategy officer for Swimlane. And uh, this is the third time we've had Cody on the podcast. I'm pretty sure he's the first person we've interviewed three times, yeah. or at least feature interviewed right. for the third time. Um, but it had been about uh, about two years since we had last caught up with him, so we thought it was a good time to get back and see what Swimlane was up to. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to, to listen to it. Of course, Cody's a, a fantastic fan of the show. We appreciate They bought the stickers for us when we changed logos. So they did. Thank you to Swimlane, Swimlane for that. All right. Well, that is it. We'll look forward to talking to you guys in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Rob. This is Jay Wilson, CISO of HealthGrades. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security, the podcast for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. Uh, we've got our feature interview uh, here today with uh, Cody Cornell, who is not the CEO uh, of Swimlane. Um, Cody, I, we were talking a little bit earlier. Um, you are you're, you're sort of going to become an honored guest today. A, a, you're going to be in the pantheon, whatever whatever you want to think about it. <laughs> I, th- I think that you are the the person for the first time that we have interviewed for three times on the podcast. It's awesome. No, it's a, it's always a pleasure to be here, and uh, I didn't realize that. But uh, I'll, thank you for bestowing well, that honor on me. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to go get your plaque. And, yeah, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll put it in the mail. Don't all right, worry. All right, all right. I'll be looking out for it. Um, and it's very exciting because we're sitting here in person, yeah, uh, actually talking to each other in a conference room, which is yeah. fun. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'd like to say that you know everybody's come running back to the office, but I think you know from a COVID perspective, folks are trickling in. But uh, it's good to be back. It's good not to have to wear a mask everywhere. Um, yes, I went out for you know beers last night with a friend, and you know it was That's, very normal. So it, it was pretty it's weird. Pretty good. It, so. it's, I mean, it, it's cool and it's fun, but it, I think it's you know it's still a little bit weird, and people trying to adjust and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I think uh, I think people want to get back, but there's also they got used to it. Like there is something to be said. We were talking about commute times and right. getting a, an extra hour of sleep a night, and all of those things that you get when you're not uh, having to commute in. And I think some of those things are gonna be hard to give up. But, but I think also people definitely want to be around other people again. Yeah, I mean, besides their family, anyway. Right? Yeah. It's like, yep. let, let me go talk to someone besides my wife, my dog, my kids, all that right. stuff. Yep. Please, someone, let, yep. me, let me come talk to you. Yeah, I mean, as someone who travels a ton or was traveling a ton before COVID, I mean, being home was, it was awesome. Like, I, I don't, yeah. I cannot remember the last time I've slept in my bed and ate at my own dining table that many times. And, you know, I think our, our family is better for it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think we're starting to see, I got my first request yesterday to go out and do like a, executive briefing so it's, nice. it's it's starting up again so i i, I imagine we'll it'll you know normal what's normal i don't know but uh, i think we're headed right. back yeah it's going to be interesting to see what normal becomes but yeah. uh hopefully it, it's a better normal than what we had before yeah agreed agreed i hopefully people feel you know much like you know we want people to can we make this meeting an email uh can we make <laughs> this travel this four-day trip into right. a zoom meeting like right there, there i think there's a place for that so i agree yeah. i agree so. all right so for people listening uh, like I mentioned, this is the third time we're interviewing you. So uh, I went back and listened to the two interviews just so I could be prepared. But for everyone else, if you want to be prepared, uh, the first interview was episode 15. Um, and go listen to that one if you he- want to hear about Cody's background, how he started in security, uh, how he started swim lane, all that, that kind of stuff. And then the second one was episode 80, which was just about three years ago. I think it was like 
18 months between the first time and the second time we, we did, and now we're doing three years, so they're right. expecting some, some big changes here. Right. Where's um, Ben? And, uh, and so if you want, want to go back to episode 80, you guys can hear about uh, more about Swimlane, about what Swimlane does, um, and you know direction, at least at that time. Right. Um, but I think the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, for those first two interviews, you were the CEO I of was. Swimlane. And you're no longer the CEO of Swimlane. I'm not. So, uh, so what happened there? Yeah, um, it's interesting, right? I mean, starting a company is, is it's, it's a journey. And when you're smaller, you have this opportunity to kind of learn. And, you know, for me, it was trial by fire. I'd never worked at a product company. So every function inside of the organization was new. If it was marketing, if it was sales, if it was product, if it was engineering, if it was back office, whatever it was, you know, it's kind of learning on the fly. And, you know, that worked out really well. I mean, we scaled the business and I think we got to 135, 140 people, you know, great customers globally. And, but there comes a point where, you know, we raised $40 million last year. And, you know, one of the jobs that I don't think that, you know, until you've sat in the seat or you've had an opportunity to t- sit down and talk to somebody who's done that is you make a lot of decisions with incomplete information. Like that, that's your job right. uh, as a CEO of a startup is you have to make a lot of decisions with very vague and incomplete data. And, you know, one of the things that helps you a lot in that moment is a ton of expertise, uh, experience which as a first-time founder and a right. first-time product company exec, um, I didn't have. So, you know, I find myself in those situations where I was like, well, I, you know, I could probably go learn and ask and read and listen, but when you're, as the company grows, you're venture-backed, so your you know, runway is important, capital burn is important. So how do you improve your likelihood or success of making the right decision? Well, you have people with experience. And you know, finding the right person uh, is hard, right? We've, we've, we looked at different ways of structuring that. But at the end of the day, we wanted to have the right person. And to get the right person, which Jim is, um, we, we, we needed to bring him in as a CEO. And I'm excited to have him you know, at the helm because you know, as a kind of partner in running the organization, he brings a ton of experience to making decisions that I didn't have, right? You yeah. know, he, he leans on me very hard on uh, technology and market and competitive landscape and what it's like to be an analyst and things like that. But as it relates to, you know, what's it like to run a public company or build a public company or work with, you know, tier one investment bankers and venture capital firms and, you know, things like that. Like he's he's had to see that whole life cycle many times. And that context informs our decisions still with incomplete data right. uh, much better than I could on my own. And I think that that change for me has been great because I'm learning a ton and uh, we're, I feel like we, we make better decisions and we make them faster than we could without that, that experience at the table, so. Yeah, well, and you know, you're a, you're a security guy by trade. Right. That's why you did this because you yep. wanted to make security better. And you know, at some point as a CEO, you know, your job becomes more, uh, more focused on raising money, on on talking to the public, on talking to investors, on all those kind of things. Yep. And, you know, if you're someone that, that wants to do security, yep. that, that's not really, um, you know, core competency and things that you want to do. So, you know, I can see where, okay, let's bring someone else in who can do this stuff and I can focus on the things that I'm best at. Yeah, I mean, obviously I, I started Swimlin because I love security and I learned to love to build product. Like I really yeah. enjoy that process now. Um, but I also learned that I love building a business. Like as as much as I love security and still do, there's a portion of my mind share every single day that goes towards things that are not security related or they're more business related. And and I I really do enjoy those things. And it's funny is there's, you know, I'll be honest, like 
if, if I would have known how difficult it was going to be to build the organization before I started, I probably, probably wouldn't have. Done it. So like yeah. the, the ignorance is bliss was like truly the, the sure. case for me. Um, but now, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know, spending thinking about security and the product, but also the business. And I think there's the problem solving that you use as a, you know, I was always on the blue team side. I was, I was, I was never really breaking into things. That wasn't my, my jam. Yeah. But that problem solving and systematizing things and the way you think about how you, you know, build a security program with a team and the structure of that team and the methodologies that you use, there's a lot of that's applicable to building a business, right? How do you build the team? How do you fill gaps? How do you get visibility? Uh, how do you make decisions with incomplete data, right? And I think, you know, the folks are thinking about, you know, do, should I make that leap or could I make that leap? There's a lot of those skills I think are equivalencies for people that you know, want to go down that path. So, so yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, not being the CEO of the, CEO of the organization is definitely different, um, but I'm, I'm probably learning more now than I probably did in the 12 or 18 months leading right. up to the point that Jim joined. So. Well, and you, know, you sort of have a, a built-in, you call it a mentor or whatever. Now, oh, absolutely. Right? You, you know, so it's, um, instead of you having to go elsewhere to figure out, okay, am I doing this right? You know, it's, someone else is doing that and you can work with them too. Yeah, so. I mean, it takes a village. Like there is no doubt that, you know, doing something big requires a team of people. You, you don't do generally, unless you're an anomaly probably, yeah. do Elon really Musk. big things by yourself, right? Yeah. So um, having, having that team is allowing us to do things that I think we, maybe we could have done, but we're getting too faster uh, and probably with a higher success rate. Yeah. So uh, you're not CEO. Nope. What is your actual title now? Uh, I am the chief strategy officer and co-founder, right? So I get to keep my co-founder status forever. Nice. So um, that's, you know, arguably the one I'm probably most proud of. Um, but yeah, strategy for us is, you know, what does a product look like? Uh, what are the opportunities inside of the market from a competitive landscape perspective? Uh, what are our tech technical partnerships look like? Uh, services partnerships. So there's, there's a lot that is the same uh, that I'm doing that it was really kind of taking one position and dividing it up. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time talking to our customers, perspective and existing, um, spent a lot of time talking to our technology partners, right? So what's the ecosystem look like? How do we partner? How do we, you know, help each other out both economically, but also how do we help the customer get the, you know, the outcomes that they're looking for and, you know, spending a lot of time, you know, talking to the product teams, you know, how do we, how do we make the lives of security teams better? How do we reduce chaos and uncertainty and actually allow teams to get more done? Yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, you were mentioning earlier also that um, in a pre-pandemic world, you traveled a lot because your job is to talk to customers, talk to partners, all those kind of things. Yep. How has the last year affected you and being able to get those kind of things done? You know, we were, you know, our first several hires were remote. So like we've been a remote organization since day one. So we've always been comfortable with working remotely. So that, that was nice that, that, you know, we'll call it the accelerated digital transformation of, of an organization went really well for us. So I think what I learned is there, there's always going to be a place and it's generally, you know, to be honest, when you want something, like if you, if you want a customer really bad, if you want a partner really bad, you want a, a key hire, you, you're going to go to them, right? And right. not having that as a lever to pull, is, it feels, it's difficult. I mean, we raised capital in the middle of COVID. Uh, we found a CEO in the middle of COVID. Like th there's things that you never thought were possible uh, that you can actually absolutely do remotely. Uh, but on the flip side, you also feel like some of the tools in your, your arsenal, right? You know, building a uh, you know, a relationship with somebody is, is difficult over Zoom, sure. right? There's no, there's no hallway conversation. There's no dinner afterward. There's, you know, it's, it's very finite times because everybody's calendars are really tight. So I think it's, I, I think I realized you can do more remotely than we probably give ourselves credit for, but it also 
reduces the, the levers that you can pull in the moments where you're really trying to get something over a home. So. Yeah, and uh, I've noticed that as well. You know, my job is also to meet with people a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've got a portfolio of companies that I, I uh, help manage their security programs. And, you know, I started basically three months before the pandemic. So I, I got a chance to meet a few of the people in person, but right. not everybody. And uh, l luckily for me, I have had someone that worked for me that, you know, had relationships with all those people. So, you know, that was helpful, but still, you know, the, the people that I have met in person, um, it, it is much easier to go to them and say, oh, hey, you know, we do have a relationship. Can you do this thing for me? I need this information, whatever it might be, because that relationship is there. Um, and then there's also people that, um, well, even some of those people where they're just really busy and it's hard to get a hold of them. Whereas if I could just, you know, show up at their doorstep, I, I know that you're going to make time for me if right. I am here. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a, a, a tactic of, I always called it sitting on someone's desk, right? I did a lot of work in government and you know, inside of big organizations <laughs> where sometimes just physically being present would yeah. allow you to get uh, your work prioritized. And you know, right. that there's things like that and you, know, you, you can't do that, right? Or you, it's, it's also harder to, you, know, you, you have to be conscious about how you collaborate and things like that. And I think being, you know, one thing that I did notice when everybody is remote, versus kind of in a hybrid where you have some people remote, like the collaboration style changes. Uh, right. And there's moments where you feel uh, much more inclusive, right? And, and that's great, right? You like that, that feeling like it kind of everybody has the same access and the same visibility. But there's also things that are harder, right? Like we have this massive whiteboard in front of us right here. Like, right. You, Yes, Zoom has a whiteboard feature, but let's be honest, it doesn't, it doesn't feel the same as being able to get up and use a whiteboard. So, right. um, but you know, again, it's, there's things that we've learned that we could do that we didn't think we could, and vice versa, there's, there's things that you really miss, so. Yeah, you know, it is funny. Uh, virtual stickies on a Kanban board is, <laughs> is not the same as actual stickies on a wall that you yeah. can, you know, all work together and move around and, instead of, you know, yep. clicking and dragging and, you know, there's just always going to be something about being there in person that's going to be better in some instances. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't know if it's tactile or physical world, but there's, yeah. you know, something to kick. Like, if you're mad, you don't want to, yeah. you know, virtually shake your fist. Like, you, you want to you kick something or, you know, you want to high five somebody, right? When you get that win. Yeah. So, and that just doesn't feel the same online. But then again, it, it's very obvious that it's not needed to move the ball. And, right. and that's, that's exciting to see. There's got to be some physiology to it because, I mean, I know lots of people that say, you know, if I physically write something down, I remember it a lot better than if Fair. I type it, right? Yep. So that there's got to be something with actually touching and moving things or doing, you know, seeing somebody in person. Anyway, um, well, uh, we don't need to go down that road. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you mentioned a second ago was uh, how much capital you guys have raised. Yep. Um, where are you guys now in that process? I don't. I know we've covered it on the show, but I don't remember what the last raise you guys had was. Yeah, so we uh, we announced it. It was basically Q4 of last year. We did a forty million dollar raise, Series B. Um, so you know, continuing to grow the organization. You know, we're one hundred and fifty people globally now, and we have nice. you know customers that are global. And um, so we're really excited about the the category, right? There's there's no lack of uh, appetite for automation. Um, there's been a lot of really good successes from a product company perspective in the, in the space, but there's also the great majority of organizations have still not adopted automation across a broad set of uh, security use cases. So we, we just, we yeah. think the, the appetite for it and the opportunity for it continues to grow. And we, what we see is people taking automation into places that, like, quite frankly, we never even thought of. Like, w w we never thought you would use 
our product in that way. But we're happy that you are. And now that you are, let, we're going to tell all of our co other customers. We're, we're going to try and productize that now well, and, yeah, and, and well, share it. And, it's funny is know. that like I, there's been so little, in my opinion, in innovation around the people component of security in the last couple decades. Sure. There's been things here and there, but generally we're talking about you know machines. We're not talking about people. And, and where automation right. comes in is there's a very human element of it. And people are very excited to participate and to share and to collaborate a lot more than I had seen with endpoint security or network security or even kind of log aggregation search, all that fun stuff. Like there, there's the, the appetite to share like ideas and concepts and improvements and you know those those components is I think is really high for this niche within you know within security, which is not really a niche, right? Automation is applicable to every you know, every use case that's out there. Sure. I mean, as we all know, as the folks that have to go turn the dials and send the notifications and things like that, um, there's there's a lot of appetite for, you know, just being happier in my job. Like, I don't want to do those right. things. Like, I'd rather spend time building a hunt hypothesis or doing incident response or improving my tool set, but I don't want to really be sending out email notifications. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you mentioned the sharing. On the, the last interview, um, you and Rob talked a little bit about SecOps, SecOps Hub. Yep. You guys had just released that. Yep. Um, is, is that where a lot of this sharing is happening for you guys? Is that something that, that has turned into a, a vibrant ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely people sharing information. It's you know, It kind of happens in two spots. You have kind of uh, a, a traffic on the public forums, and then you have a lot of traffic that's, I would say, happens kind of through our tech support portal as customers. Okay. So that happens there. And you know, you, you have a situation where you know, folks um, are getting into automation and that's generally where you see a lot of the public you know, information. But you know, I, I think a lot of the sharing is happening between customers and you know, prospective customers and things along those lines. As well as like service providers, right? There's a lot of our partners are managed service providers or MDR vendors or um, big consulting firms, right? And they awkwardly w compete in the market publicly but behind kind of a, a very thin veil are collaborating aggressively, which right. is really interesting to see, right? And I think we see that in security, if it's threat intelligence sharing or anything else, you know, you might be competitive in market, you might be in retail, but and you have, you're, you're competing with another big box store or another provider, but you know, those security teams know each other and they actually are helping each other out. Yeah. Yeah, one of the other things that you mentioned a minute ago was seeing people do things with the product that you weren't expecting them to do um, what are some, some interesting use cases that you've seen people come up with that you wouldn't have thought the product would have been used for? Right. I mean, we see folks that are using the product for like application development life cycles. Like, so what, what's your CICD process look like and how do you track that? And what tools are you using for container security and vulnerability assessment and, uh, you know, code quality and linting and all these different things okay. and actually tracking that process. Like generally when people think about automation, they're thinking about the security operations. They're thinking sure. about alerts that are coming in from all of your telemetry and monitoring systems. But people are using it for, I would say, I would call it almost cyber hygiene. So application security or vulnerability assessment or you know, even like quirky ones, like uh, I would call it like high risk travel. You know, like Workday isn't way high on the, the list of integrations you would expect, but it's really common. Like, um, am I traveling to a high-risk region for my company based on what I do? Right. Sh so should I change the security policy on your device because of where you're going? And where does that start? It doesn't start in your endpoint monitoring tool or your forensics tool or your right. firewall. That starts in your HR system. Right. And th those are use or, cases yeah. that, you know, just they weren't top of mind for us, but they're becoming very, very prevalent. So. 
Yeah, I was actually on a, a CISO dinner last night and the topic was compliance. Okay. And one of the, one of the people said that, um, I, I was asking, you know, how are you getting better at, you know, managing all the different regulations and all that sort of thing in your organization? And, and one person said, um, I would suggest everyone uh, get a SOAR for compliance. And, yep. you know, he would, you know, his, uh, his idea there was, hey, well, we're automating all of the evidence gathering, all of the reports, all of the whatever, so that in, if someone shows up to do an audit on whatever it might be, they just click a couple buttons and they can produce all of the documentation the that they need. Are, are you seeing other people doing that kind Absolutely. of thing? Absolutely. I mean, audit support, uh, compliance support are two, I would say, they're use cases that people are buying for, but they're also byproducts, right? You, there, you have this moment where you're, you know, we, as, as a security team, we don't have a system of record. Right, you know, sales has Salesforce. You know, engineering has Jira. Like, we, I mean, maybe Sim, maybe, yeah, but, maybe that's but, kind of the closest, the, but not really. For machine data, without a doubt, right? Yeah. I mean, but it, what Sim doesn't capture is human decision information. Sure. And that's really what you're being audited on. That's right. what you're. What, that's what you have to produce artifacts for. So if I'm doing an OCC audit or an SEC audit, or I got the big four coming in, or whatever it is, like they're going to come in and they're going to pick, you know, 25 security alerts and all these different things, and they're going to say, "Show me the evidence," right? And where do you go, right? I mean, I know what I used to do. I go search email. I go search through my ticketing system. I go search through my alert logs, right. and I I put it all together and I hand it to them, and it was all from eight months ago, and I'd be like. You know, cross my fingers and, and hope it goes. Well. Are you a good auditor or a bad auditor? Yeah, right. Yes. Like, how, how deep is this guy going to go? You know. Um, and, but what we see now is, you know, through a quick search and a, a really easy to produce report, I can show you not just the twenty-five you asked about. I can show you all eighty thousand from right. last quarter. And, and here's every decision we made, why we made it, how it ties to our policies and procedures. Here's all the artifacts. Here's them all stored. It, it's just, it makes the life of someone who has to deal with audit requests be ad hoc or quarterly or monthly or annually, whatever you're getting. It just makes your life better, right? I mean, yeah. that's, it's stressful to go through that audit process and it's time consuming and to have the confidence to, to have that data readily available whenever they ask for it and not have to like, let me think back nine months ago to when this happened. What system were we using again? Did we switch this investigation tool? Right. Did we have a different mail gateway? Like what was I doing in that moment? Like you have to kind of go back and mentally reconstruct that moment. And that's, that's damn near impossible to do. And I think, I mean, even for, around audits for the non-security people, the things you don't think about, like you, you, know, you mentioned Workday for a different use case, right? right? But you know, if you're doing uh, any sort of audit, you're probably going to have to generate a, a population of your employees and a population of, you know, people that have been terminated in the X, you know, X amount of time. Right. And, you know, most places where I've been, it's like, all right, well, I need to go ask the HR people to do this. And if they're nice, then they'll get it back to me, you know, in a week. Yep. Um, or, you know, whatever. And, you know, maybe I can get them to do an automated report so that they, it's faster when I ask them for it. But if, you know, if you have that system plugged into your store, you can just boom, now I've got my, got my report and yep. pass it along. Absolutely. And I think that's a great example of where people are applying automation inside of security that isn't, I guess, typically associated with the category yeah. is, you know, like user onboarding and offboarding. Like, how do I have, how do I track that? How do I keep, you know, how do I keep a record of, and it's not just for Active Directory and, you know, it's, it's all your SaaS services, right? Like how much are you spending on Office 365 for contractors that are no longer here? So there's, there's a cost savings component to just being, having good hygiene, but 
along with that hygiene, you get data loss prevention. You know, you don't have you know credential reuse opportunities. There's there's all sorts of kind of surface area that you're contracting when you're using automation as a mechanism to to optimize you know different aspects of security, right? And user onboarding is just one of the many examples. Yeah, yeah. To to make all this work though, you have to integrate into a lot of things. Yep. Um, I'm curious, what's what's the weirdest thing that you've seen someone integrate with? Oh man. Or how about, maybe not IST, what, what is a weird thing that you wouldn't expect someone to integrate with? So we actually see a, a pretty big uptick in what, Fusion Center, right? And everybody uses the term a little bit differently, but we're seeing this convergence of, so I'm starting to see video feeds inside of the Swimlane UI from physical security. Huh. You're like, oh, interesting. Makes total sense, yeah. right? You know, and then you start thinking about. I mean, it's a kind of a tried and true, you know, sim use case. How do you converge the physical world and the cyber world? Like, if I didn't badge into this building, I shouldn't be VPNing in from this building, or you know, single sign on from this building. Like, you know, there, there's some things from a correlation, the impossible login scenario, right? But that that also plays out as you're triaging alerts. Like, right. you know, what's the convergence of fraud and cybersecurity and physical security? So I think there's. Again, it's it's not so much that there it's a weird integration. It's just it's a I think it's kind of a where things are headed and how people are thinking about you know I'm I'm gathering lots and lots of data, you know from lots of different sources. That's only going up, you know what what do I do with that and how do I actually action it? I'm spending a ton of money to capture it now. How do I do something with it? That actionability of data I think is super important. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, one of the other things you mentioned in the last interview was that um, you guys were you're preparing your SaaS service, mm -hmm. um, but you know you were you were holding until you guys were ready. Yep. You were making sure you were compliant, making sure all yep. the stuff. Um, are you guys? Is that a service that you guys offer now? Uh, so, n not today. Yeah. And, and I say today because the time horizons are are pretty close. So, yeah. um, we we definitely believe in a cloud delivered opportunity for us. To, you know, you'll have Swimlane available as a, a Swimlane cloud, and yeah. we're pretty excited to make that available. Um, you know, did not expect to be giving a date right here, so I'm not going to, but yeah. um, it, I, I say not today because it, it's not far off. So yeah. um, we're, we're pretty excited about that. We, th we think it opens up a lot of opportunities for folks. Uh, it also opens up a lot of opportunities for us as a vendor. So um, yeah, that is that it's on the near-term horizon. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. You know, we've historically, I mean, we have you know hundreds of customers that are using the product in their environments deployed um, and getting that into the same parity, the same capabilities um, with all the security requirements that are associated with that is, you know, as, as you know, you know, and I think, you know, I've asked Rob a lot of questions, you know, you know, building a SaaS offering and sure. being the CISO for a SaaS offering. Um, th there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're making sure that we, we do that right. And, but we also want to bring some new, there's some new things we're bringing with it, which we're really excited about. So it's not just, you know, can you get Swimlane in the cloud? It's, there's things that above and beyond that that we're really excited about. Yeah, um, so why now or soon, finally? Uh, um, is, is this, is it customer demand? Is it um, just something that, that makes more sense for, for you guys as a company? Uh, these new secret features that you- Secret uh, features, I would say they're secret, <laughs> but they're, they're additive yeah. for sure. Um, it's, uh, I, I think now makes sense. I mean, one, obviously we saw a huge you know, push towards you know, using SaaS services as it relates to COVID. I mean, I think that's without a doubt. Um, but there's also you know, things that we think we can deliver inside of the product as a SaaS offering that are much more difficult to deliver uh, on-prem. 
Um, but there, there's always going to be a need for a prem deployment. There, there are types of organizations that are going to run this inside of their private cloud that are not going to let this information go outside of their environment. But there's also folks that don't have the resources to run some of this stuff at scale sure. that they need, and they would like to consume it as a SaaS offering. So I think there's, there's advantages for customers that we're excited about making available. There's advantages for us you know, from a learning and recommendation perspective and things like that. And, you know, you know, from a business perspective, there's, there's obviously, you know, SaaS companies are tracked, you know, differently. We're a subscription company, not a SaaS company, as some people say, but, um, but we're, we're moving in that direction and we're pretty excited about making that available. So can you give an example of one of those things that is uh, easier or better to deliver as a SaaS that you guys can't deliver at, or it's harder to deliver. Yeah, the, no, absolutely. Right? I mean, if, if, I mean, if you just think about just general data aggregation, right? I mean, you, you see it inside of you know the network capture world. You see it inside of the sim world. Like the ability to to capture more and more information and hold it, uh, store it, make it available, historically referenceable. Use that to build models, right? I'm not going to use the hand wavy, um, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence, but in order to build recommendations for you know customers and things along those lines, having aggregate information is an advantage, um, and you know. For me, that that opens up opportunities for small, what would seem like uh, small insights that we see at particular accounts, being able to provide outside outcomes for other organizations, and we're really excited about that. And I think that's that's kind of the power of of aggregate information. So being yeah. in that data path. So. Yeah, that's a great example. Yep. Um, so so you've been at this for a while now. Yep. Um, when you started, you obviously had a vision of where you were going and, and what the company would become, what the product would, would become. Um, is that where you are today? Um, do, do you, ha have things changed? Are there, were there unexpected things that, that pivoted you away from where you guys thought you were gonna be? Um, I think so. I mean, I would say the North Star has remained pretty constant. Yeah. The, the need to reduce the amount of human effort to do the job of security is like, that's still, that still needs to happen. And it, I think it's gone from being the privilege of a few um, who could afford it because it was, it's still a new technology for most organizations right. um, to necessity, right? The amount of information, as we talked about, is, is too much for a human team to respond to. Well, if not, you end up just looking at the most high severity things. And as we all know, generally there was a canary in the coal mine there. There was something earlier that I, if I could have reacted to, sure. might have prevented me from getting to this spot. So I think that general thesis is still terribly applicable. Like that's without a doubt, you know, that that's the case. Uh, I think from a product perspective, you know, you always think you can move faster. Things are always harder than you think. Right. Um, opening in new markets, you know, trying to get into, you know, Australia and Japan and, and other places like um, those, I, I, I'll be honest, I was probably a little naive, right? I, you know, the way people buy, the way the distribution networks work, um, there's a lot of learning that I had to do and, you know, we still continue to do, but, you know, I think we have, we've built a team that knows that well. So there's things that were easier than I thought and there's things that were harder than I thought, but directionally, the, the need to solve, this, which is still primarily an unsolved problem, is still there, so. Yeah, yeah I mean, and even though that need is still there, I feel like the, the market that you guys are in has changed a lot, yep. you know. Uh, for you know, when this started, as you know, many new markets do, it's lots of point products. You know, everybody doing a startup, and now while many of those products still exist, they're now part of somebody else's platform as opposed to yep. a, a an individual single platform. Um, you know, how how have you seen that change, and do you think that's 
the way that it has changed, is that a positive for you guys? Is it, uh, is it a negative? Is it neutral? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, you never want to fault somebody for success, right? I mean, the, the right. folks that have built organizations and scaled them and they've been acquired, like, you know, hats off to them. That's, that's really, really hard, right? So, you know, and there are our competitors and, you know, I know most of them and they're all good people, surprisingly. You know, as, mu as much as I want to, you know, run around <laughs> and be like, no, they're, you know, no, they're actually all really nice people. Um, I think that the thing that's interesting about what we do specifically in security from a technology perspective is, the ability to work with everybody is pretty unique. That independence to work with my competitors, with you know my well-aligned partners and things like that is a unique spot within the segment. And being part of a, a bigger organization, yeah, they have tighter integrations with their products and things like that, and probably you know access to things that I don't within their ecosystem. But outside of their ecosystem, it becomes a little bit of an interesting you know, dilemma, right? You know, how right. well are they going to work with their competitors right. on the long term, right? And I, I think, you know, being where we're at is actually an, is an advantage for us. And, you know, we have one product. We're focused on that product. Everybody in this organization is trying to make that product better. And, you know, that I think that is, it, it creates a different culture inside of an organization and it creates, a you know, full bias here. It creates a better product, you know, yeah. because you're not trying to figure out how this, you know, is going to help us upsell and cross-sell something else. And that's, I, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. They have, they have to run those organizations. They have to build those, those, those companies. And that's why they do those acquisitions. But it changes your focus and it changes what's important. And I think, you know, being independent the way that we are gives us an advantage. And I think customers see that. I mean, that, and again, I, I know I'm the vendor, so I'm, yeah. I'm trying, <laughs> I'll stop beating the drum. But <laughs> well, and I think, um, I think it works the other way for them as well, right? So if, um, you know, they, they, how well they work with other people is great, but, but how well are those other people going to work with them? Right. Right. If, um, you know, Splunk bought Phantom, yep. are, are the other SIM providers now, are, are they going to be um, as... Uh, readily out there coming to to uh, Phantom now going, hey, we're, we want to integrate with you. Right. Uh, now, is it kind of like, eh, I don't know that that really makes sense for us yeah. anymore. Yeah, I mean, much like, you know, the folks that we compete with don't give me demos. I also don't get to have, you know, probably in-depth conversations with their business development teams. Right. So it'd be easy for me to just, you know, kind of like throw the flag and say, absolutely, there's no way they're working with anybody else. But, you know, it's security. Like, there's a general appetite to work together. And I, I don't think anybody is trying to, you know, full Heisman, you know, keep, keep everybody away. But the incentives don't align as well as when you're an independent. And, you know, so I think there, there is advantages. I mean, we've seen really strong, you know, partnerships from folks that don't have an automation solution inside of their portfolio. I mean, we have some great partnerships that we're building uh, because folks see the value of automation. They, they want to be able to deliver it as part of the offering that they're giving to their customers. And, uh, but they need a partner to do that. And, and I think that's, you know, where we have an advantage. We, we just, we're not kind of stuck in that, you know, walled garden to, to use the Apple term, so. Right. Yeah, um, we're getting close to the end of time here. Um, what have we not talked about that, that we should have talked about? That's always the hardest question because yeah. I, 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 you try not to repeat yourself. And like you said, now we're at the third time. So um, I think f for me, it, you know, it's, I've spent, I'm spending a lot more time talking to folks, you know, both that have been at Swimlane or outside of Swimlane that I probably didn't have time to talk to before that were trying to make the leap. 
Like, yeah. I, I, I see this problem, I see this gap, I think there's an opportunity to build something here and solve a problem. And, uh, you know, those, those are conversations I like. I always laugh, you know, my, my parting comment in most of those first conversations is some people like to talk about cars, some people like to like talk about sports. I really like to talk about go-to-market strategies for cybersecurity companies. Like, it's, it's my favorite, like, dinner conversation, which drives my wife bananas. But uh, I, think there's, I think there's an opportunity for folks to solve problems that they feel every day by, you know, being an entrepreneur themselves, by being innovative, you know, inside of their organization or, or you know, trying to, you know, pull off the stand-up and own them their own company. And there's a lot of resources out there for those folks, both within your local community. Um, I think other founders want you to succeed. They want to help. And I think, you know, if you're sitting there and there's something that's really, really bothering you, and there's a lot of people that you talk to and it bothers them as well, like, take a, take a long, hard look at it and, and, yeah. and, and think, you know, is, is there an opportunity for me to do something there? It's not for everybody. Um, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, but on the flip side, I think there's, there's something within the security community and then that kind of startup ecosystem that will, will help you if, if, you know, if you're second guessing making that jump. So. Awesome. Well, Cody, um, it's been great talking to you again. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, of course, good luck to you. Good luck to Swimlane. We, we expect to hear and, and see uh, much more great things in the future. Yeah, we got some pretty good, uh, exciting announcements coming up. So kind of hinted at them already. But uh, yeah. yeah, be on the lookout for that. And uh, I mean, not not to you know selfish plug here, but we're hiring. Like, please, yeah, check out the check out the page. We're hiring for security people. You know, on the services side of the house, uh, on the product side of the house, on the sales engineering side of the house, software development, marketing, you name it. We're hiring. So um, if you if you want to work at a security company, if you want to work at, you know inside of a startup, um, give us a call. We'd we'd love to love to talk to you. And are you guys still primarily uh, hiring here, or is it uh, all over the place, remote? Yeah, all, all of the above. It, it, we've always had the mantra: it's better to have the right people than the right location. But you know, yeah. we're a Colorado company, no doubt. So I mean, uh, there's a good percentage, probably a majority of our folks that are here. Actually, I know it's a majority. We just did the count, but. Um, yeah, they, we're hiring here. We'd love to have people in the office. You know, I'll give you two of their office. You can tell me if it's nice or not. But uh, we think we did a good job, and you know, we'd love to get some folks out here. And you know, now that we're breaking out of COVID, fingers crossed, no yep. crazy variants. Uh, we are, you know, we are back to the office, so we're excited. Awesome, good stuff. Well, great talking to you. Appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll do this again for number four sometime. All right, look forward to it. Thanks. Uh, this has been Colorado Equals Security, and we will talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.